Hello, I'm Carl Beckham. I'm Paul Crowley. And this is How to Fail at College, a podcast about how to survive college or fail miserably trying. We meant to record this podcast last week, but unfortunately we were thrown off schedule rather dramatically by Hurricane Matthew. Not something I was really expecting, but uh, Paul, how'd you make out with Hurricane Matthew? Uh, We were pretty fortunate. The area in Myrtle Beach that we're in just got the wind, some of the rain, but no trees down. Lost power for about 24 hours or so, but we had kind of prepped for it during the day, so like I liked being cold. So I turned that AC way down in anticipation that the power would go out. So when it did go out, we still were able to stay cool throughout the evening and sleep pretty well. Um, But yet, I know a lot of people, they're still out of their house, out of power, flooding. There's a lot of issues, so knock on wood, we were very uh, very fortunate. What about where you were at? Oh, I'm a ways north of campus, so it was, we did not get much of anything. It was the, the wind and the rain, and it was a category two hurricane, but I had a handful of limbs down in the backyard and took the hatchet to that. That was about it, so that- lucky me. And I think what we noticed, too, is, is weird because we both grew up here. We're, we're used to hurricanes before. But the can, kind of the general consensus was this was like the worst Category 1, Category 2 storm we've had in years. Like, we don't understand it because all these trees were down, power's out for an extended period of time, more than what you thought would be. And it's just like we – I just don't understand what was going on. It, it, it baffles me, too. That was – leading up to it, it was, oh, it's Category 2. I've been – I've ridden a bicycle in a Category 4 before. It was a terrible decision, and I shouldn't have done it, but I did. And this one was, I don't know if I'm just old and boring, but this seemed way more aggressive. Yeah. We have our neighbor. He's from New York. He moved down here about a year ago or so, and so he was worried. Never been in a hurricane before, and he asked us, what are you guys doing? I'm going to do what you do. We're like, we said the kind of same thing. It's a Category 1. I mean, what do you mean we're going to do? We're going to (laughs) chill. We're good. We have it. We're prepared. There's nothing to worry about. I mean, thank goodness everyone's okay. Everyone was fine. But, yeah, it just seemed a lot worse. Like, I've never seen so many trees down from a Category 1 before. Yeah, driving in, driving to campus every day, it's just because I take my country roads coming in. and It's rough. Yeah. Like, just to see the water still standing and students and friends of mine living in Socrates dealing with that flood right now just from all the water rushing down. It's shockingly bad. I yeah. just I don't remember storms like this ever. This bad from, that. from a Category One at least. Yeah, one of my students did mention that her home flooded and it looked like it would be six months. That's rough. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that you can see though with storms like this, and this is kind of we're going to segue into our new segment, in that we locally some of the schools were in the path of. The hurricane. So coastal Carolina, where we went, they're right in the path of it. So they actually were able to work out an agreement with Clemson University upstate where they were able to house many of our students. And so when you have a storm like this, it's nice because you do see people chipping in to try and help. So we have Clemson University being very generous in housing those students. I do need to acknowledge that University of South Carolina did the same thing for the College of Charleston, but I'm going to give more credit to Clemson, obviously, because go Tigers. <laughs> There was a, an article that I came across, though, that we'll put in the, in the show notes about Flagler College. 
This is down in St. Augustine, uh, Florida. So I've been St. Augustine a couple times. The last time my wife and I went down there, we were visiting her brother and his wife, and we were able to visit Flagler College, kind of walk around campus, beautiful campus. St. Augustine is a beautiful city if you've never been there before. And what they were talking about is that in the storm, most of their buildings, the first floor was completely flooded, and it's just gone. And they're having to go through and do all the repairs, and the article that I came across was students themselves coming, chipping in, and helping out with the recovery efforts, helping to clean up the campus. And so I know I've seen that in this community around here, in the Myrtle Beach area, where people are just, you know, I'm gonna go to someone's house that I don't even know, and I'm gonna help them clean up limbs, I'm gonna help them move the trees, and break up the leaves, whatever it may be. And it's just nice to see that even in times of trial that people are willing to, you know, step outside their comfort zone maybe, and just lend a helping hand. That is quite wonderful, especially, and given, what we know is fairly stereotypical, but it's the quote-unquote apathy of millennials. To see that being completely rejected and to actually just be out selflessly helping others is a pretty refreshing thing. Yeah, and from psychology, you'll see a lot of benefit to that. What you'll see sometimes is that mental illness, not all the times, but sometimes it's because someone is focusing a little too much on themselves, and that's when the neuroses start to come in. And it's really good just to stop that. And the best way to do it is express gratitude and look for other people and, and focus on them and how you can help them. And that will then, in turn, help you. Paul, was that directed at me? No, does it need to be? Maybe, no. <laughs> now, uh, for our topic this week, we wanted to discuss something that affects every college student to some extent or another. And while it doesn't have anything to do with classes, schoolwork, or anything like that, it is something that has a significant impact on them on a daily basis, and that, of course, is money. So, I am the worst person to talk about money. But see, this is good, because we can, we want people to learn from our mistakes, or well, learn from things those. that we have done, so that they don't make the same mistakes that we did. That would probably behoove anyone. Yeah. But let's look at it like this. I made a list, I think, of possible sources of money that a college student might have. Because we're talking about spending money, where does it actually come from, mm -hmm. right? So I had currently working, summer job working, so you saved it up and you just have to, you have to spend what you saved up. Scholarships, so just extra money for living expenses. Uh, you're independently wealthy. <laughs> or your parents. Is there something I missed, do you think? No. I, I just love the fact you included independently wealthy. <laughs> well, there are some people. I mean, oh, Steve Jobs, when his I guess kids go to school, they don't need to work or anything like that. Fair enough. Yeah. I've actually, I've been both lucky and cursed to have, other than the independently wealthy, each of those as a means of getting by. The first couple years of college, my parents helped me out. And that was wonderful. It was a little bit of extra spending money to kind of get through the months and the semester so I could just focus on my education. Which, of course, the first two years of college, I didn't uh -oh. do. Um, but eventually, when it was the save up everything during the summer so that you had that money to live off during the school year, learn more about budgeting. Mm. Then when there was the... Then when I was living on my own and I had to pay rent and pay for everything else and it was working to do that, while going to school, 
learned about budgeting in a different way there with budget, budgeting time more so. So, I don't know. Maybe I might be able to talk about this, Paul. I, I think we can. <laughs> um, I know from my perspective, I remember it was the summer after ninth grade in high school I started working. And I never stopped working from that point. So while I went to high school, you know, after classes, I'm working 35, 40 hours a week. In college, I'm working 45, 50 hours a week. I was working full-time, and that was the main source of my money. Mm -hmm. I did have assistance from my parents in that they covered my rent. Mm. I wasn't able to live at home uh, like my sisters were during um, when they were in college, so the kind of the deal was that they would cover my rent. I was responsible for everything else. Um, prior to finishing my college career, I lived in Mexico for two years. I was a missionary down there, and it's something that you paid to do. And so you would pay in your money, and then they would give you a certain portion back for your living expenses. Hmm. So a certain, por uh, certain portion for your rent and utilities, and then it was about approximately $115 a month for your food and everything else. So you had $115 a month for food, which meant you could spend about $20 a, a week without going over because, you know, you want to, in case you rip your shirt or a pair of pants, you have to replace those types of things. Buying toilet paper, very important. So it was really getting down to nitty gritty. How can I make this money stretch? And I think that's kind of the key thing in college as well. Take the little bit of money that you have and making it go a long, long way. Yes. Um, and full disclosure, toilet paper is very expensive. That is why for, what's the statute of limitations on theft? Uh, I'm not sure, so let's speak in the hypothetical. <laughs> Hypothetically, you can always borrow toilet paper from dorms if you have friends that live there. Or, hypothetically, again, always, you can take some from work. Hypothetically, though. Hypothetically, always. <laughs> now, I will say this, though. I worked at Chick-fil-A during college, and that was a godsend. That's actually what got <laughs> me through, because my budget for food every month was so small because I ate for free all the time at work. If I wasn't working that day, I still went back there and hypothetically I might have gotten some free food. So basically my budget for uh, food each month was some juice to drink, cookies, and something to eat on Sunday when Chick-fil-A was closed. <laughs> That's all I had to spend money on for my food. And so I was able to make everything else, you know, stretch a little bit further because of that. I actually for food for me was learning how to cook and I can still make a delicious meal out of a dollar pack of microwavable vegetables and a cup of rice. So that is something that you get very familiar with how you can be inventive with foods so a lot of students eat like ramen noodles personally I hate that so I wasn't able to do that kind of stuff I was actually very familiar with like the dollar menus at restaurants how what, how much food can I get for the limited amount of money? And just say, no, I'm painting coins. <laughs> well, the, the ramen, the best thing about ramen is ramen hacks. A good, I've heard cheap way to get around things, especially if you're vegetarian or vegan and you're forced to subsist off of ramen, peanut butter. Yes. Get your protein. Yes. It goes a mile, and it's like poor man's pad thai. Uh, but the dollar menus, Lord, I lived off of those. I could plan my week based on how, based on maximizing my food for five dollars. Right. Let me ask you this though, Carl. Was there ever a time where you thought you might actually starve? That there was actually no money for food, 
until maybe a next paycheck or to something and that you might like, what am I going to do? Uh, I probably would have gotten there, but no, because every job I had in college was cash-based. It was mm. waiting tables predominantly. So there was the influx or the inflow of money was pretty much up to me. Right. When you, in, you got it when you needed it. Got it every night. Was there ever a time where you had less than a dollar to your name? <laughs> when did we get paid last? So in college, was there ever a time when you had less uh, than a dollar to your name? I, I, it's true for me, but I'll tell my story. I in a second. my bank account was overdrawn for for gas. I believe it was. Uh, uh, that was that only happened once that I can recall. Probably skated that a time or three. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't think I ever overdrew. I came close twice, and so if my mom's listening to this, just skip this next part so you don't worry too much retroactively. The first time was I had in my budget every month, or every week really, I'm going bowling. So at Waccamaw Lanes, they had college night. Uh, you pay, like, I think it was like six bucks, and that got you the shoes and as many rounds as you could get in from 10 to whenever they closed around 2 or 3 in the morning. And so, because me and my friends went every single week, there was like four or five of us, they recognized us, they were, we were always very nice, they started treating us very nicely. They gave us preference on lanes, because they're trying to cram people in lanes, like four or five people to a lane, and they're like, oh, you can take the first two. And there's only four of us sometimes, five, and so we, got, we would knock out like ten games. And so that six dollars was always in my budget. <laughs> But this one time, I budgeted out, I just filled up my car with gas, I'd just gone to the grocery store, and I had, I think, six fifty in my bank account. So then I spent the $6 on bowling, that left me with 50 cents to my name to get me by for about four or five days. So it definitely caused a lot of stress and anxiety, but looking back on it, you know, I made it through. <laughs> was the bowling worth it, though? Always, man, <laughs> always. It was great. The, the other time that I, I kind of messed it up, but it was great for the experience, in that it was November 1st, so right after Halloween, I had $25 to get me through for food for about two or three weeks. For whatever reason, the way I budgeted, the way my paychecks were, I had $25. And I thought it would be a good idea to go to Walmart and buy the half-off Halloween candy. So I spent $25 on half-off Halloween candy, so do the math, $50 worth of chocolate. And I just opened the bags, I poured it in the middle of the living room floor, and that's what I slowly ate over the period of three weeks. I did get sick off the chocolate at one point, but uh, yeah, I'd probably do it again if I had to go back. I think I would. I question many decisions I made in college, but I that might that might trump most of them, Paul. <laughs> well, what's something that you look back on and you're like, I really wish I wouldn't have spent money on it? that it was just wasted? Great question. Um, I think the only thing I truly regret spending money on in college, and this is just a personal thing, it goes, uh, no judgment, was cigarettes. Because I my budget included about $20 a week for cigarettes. And this was when $20 a week in cigarettes was over a carton uh. worth. And so that is something we, we kind of see, right? As far as college students, it's a time in life that, especially when you hit age 21, you're able to purchase alcohol legally, so at bars or store or whatever it may be. And so when you talk about a budget, you always want to first look at your needs versus your wants. And so you need to pay rent, 
you need electricity and running water and you need food to survive. Or chocolate. Or chocolate, of course. But you want to do all these other things. And so it, it just kind of doesn't compete with me sometimes. I see students and they always have their Starbucks coffee before class. Or they're talking about the parties they went to where they consumed alcohol. We'll put it that way. And I'm just like, where is the money coming from to do this? I mean, I understand why they're complaining the next week they don't have any food because they spent it all on booze and other things. But it's like, what, why is there that disconnect, do you think? Because, you know, parties, clubs, traveling, even going back home or visiting other places. Money, I'm not saying we shouldn't, they shouldn't travel or shouldn't do those things. But sometimes it seems to be an excess into the detriment of a day-to-day living. I think it's also as much uh, new experience and trying different things. And it's, for lack of a better term, it's that potential at playing at being an adult. Those are, we as Americans have separated drinking and that type of lifestyle choice from childhood, from children. You look at other countries where lower drinking ages are. There's not quite that gulf that disconnect with the 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds because they've kind of got that out of the way. It's been not necessarily normalized, but it's part of their lives. They've seen it, they've experienced it, so it's not, it's easier to not, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, glorify it to an extent. Gotcha. So, and we tend to do that, so. Now, um, you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I have. Right? So I think, from a teacher standpoint, something that we maybe overlook sometimes is how this would actually affect us. So when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the basic principle is that we need to reach our full potential, or what he called self-actualization. But in order to do that, you have to take care of everything else more important and more basic as far as your needs. You have to do all that first. So basically, it starts off keeping yourself alive. You know, where are you going to sleep? What are you going to eat? Things like that. And then you kind of move over and up to forming attachments and then all the other things that would come with reaching your full potential. Now, if you have a student who's really worried about what they're going to have for dinner that night because they don't have any money, how do we expect them as teachers to actually pay attention during that lecture to get anything out of class when they have other more pressing concerns? All right. Well, I think focusing on college students for that is great, but that is an issue that is just banning public education right now is that inability to provide. So, Paul, I think you bring up a great point. How can we expect them to excel and succeed and really prosper in what we're doing in class when it's secondary to sustaining, to existing, to growing, to living? Um, And our influence is limited. And when we only have interactions with them in the classroom, and maybe if they come by during our office hours, it's not like we can take their hand outside of the class and be like, this is what you need to do with your money. And like slap their hands when they try to buy, in your case, the cigarettes, which sounds like you regret doing, or whatever it may be. Like, you know, how can we get them? It seems like you have to take care of that as well, and we don't have the best capability to do it. Uh, it's, it's kind of fascinating. I, we were talking earlier about some of the essays I have my students write, and one of the essays they're working on right now, uh, one of the topics that is an option is consumer finance. Okay. And it's just kind of a straightforward argumentative essay. Should high schools teach consumer finance? Should we have that in middle school, primary school, elementary? Just basic foundational 
knowing how credit works, knowing how to open up a checking account, walking through and just being able to keep up with your money and budgeting. And universally, my students seem very pro for that. doing that, for doing it. Uh, yeah, absolutely, very much for having those classes. Of course, the issue is where do you do it? Who teaches it? Where does it come up? But they else, themselves lack that knowledge. They're aware of it, and it's, it's, it's true. So absent one of those classes, right, a formal space to learn that, and trying to avoid learning the hard way from life teaching you and hitting you when you're down, I mean, how else we, where else are we supposed to learn this? No, I, and that's what it always comes back to in those essays. Uh, students typically point out that commonly that's parents, and unfortunately yes. that's not really one of those... It's great if That's you have great parents. <laughs> if, if you have great parents, it works out great for you. Sure. Like, I, I got some very valuable advice from my, my parents growing up. My dad in particular always said, even if you have, let's say, like a credit card and access to buy things, don't buy it unless you actually have the money for mm -hmm. it. So you can use your credit card to buy something, but make sure you're, you saved up your money beforehand mm -hmm. first so that if you want to use your credit card for the points or for whatever, you can immediately pay that bill off without having to accrue mm -hmm. any of the interest. Full disclosure, I do not have a credit card. Okay. By Never choice? Have. By choice. To avoid that kind of situation? <laughs> not that bad with money. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking a simple question. No, it is, a, it is a personal choice not to do that because, and it's that self-awareness. I know I would mess up and dig myself in a hole a little too quickly. So it's just for, for safety's sake. Well, let me ask you this, Carl. If you look back to your experience during college. What's one thing that you wished you did differently in regards to the finances and money? Sandwiches. You're gonna have to ex <laughs> extrapolate a little more on that. For whatever reason, I did not, I was horrible at budgeting. Like we said, we knew the dollar menus, you knew the five for five deals, when it was, where it was, how it worked. The simple fact of the matter was all my money was just kind of flowing out to food and to illogical stuff. And for five minutes worth of planning to make a stack of sandwiches. And have that get you through the week. And have that get you through the week. Right. It was just the, the fact that I was so focused on everything else, I didn't take the time to focus on finances and health, honestly. So. And that's a big and a key component to it. I mean, we are like, I think most people would want to promote a healthy lifestyle, and part of that is proper eating. But what you can also see is that, to a certain extent, sometimes it's cheaper to buy the junk food. Oh, it's always cheaper. That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah. And so we're like we're telling these these students and other people eat healthy, save money. But it's like those those two don't necessarily go hand in hand, and we're we're at a crossroads on how to address that issue. Yeah, that's that's top down, my friend. I'm afraid that goes far, far, far above our pay grade. Yeah. So what piece of advice would you have for current students? Like what do you think, if we had to distill what we've been talking about, what's the one thing they should take away from this discussion? Actually, your advice that you got from your pops is probably what I would say. Know what you've got, know your bills, know what your income is, and stick to it. So basic budgeting. Basic budgeting. Basic budgeting. I heard a good tip the other day on a podcast. They called it the 31-day rule. And that if you see something you want to buy, you write it on a list. 
and you come back to it 31 days later. And if you still want to buy it, and you have the money for it, then do it. Otherwise, it's like, it, it keeps you from impulsive spending. I'm like, this is, this is genius. I love it. And so I'm definitely going to be applying that more in my life, you know, because I think it's a brilliant principle. I, how would that affect the list of records I want to buy that I've had for a long time? So it would kind of be, <laughs> do you have to have them all right now? And is there a record store that you can maybe find them used in maybe good condition? FYI, there's one in Myrtle Beach. Oh, honey, I only buy used. Okay, folks, well, it's time to cover our recommended readings for the week. This is where we each share something that we've come across in life, somewhere or somehow, and it caught our attention. Now we want to share it with you and encourage everyone to check them out. Paul, heaven yes. help us. I saw that you had another podcast listed. What about your promise to keep that to a minimum? So I, I am going to keep that promise. We'll just start it next week. <laughs> I'll start my budget next week. There we go. This one, it was just too good to pass up. So I'm a big fan of the Sporkful podcast. I subscribe to them. FYI, if you haven't subscribed to us, now's a perfect time to do so. And so I think we had talked about before a previous series they did about other people's food. Mm -hmm. And they talked about ethnic foods and the culture behind it. And one of the things they mentioned in, in particular was the chef Rick Bayless, who is a white guy, and he owns a Mexican restaurant. And the limits, because of his race, puts on him that he can, as far as experimentation with the food. Mm -hmm. And they explored those issues. They asked some of the hard questions. And now they're back at it doing it again. And they're asking, in particular, when you go to a restaurant, Who's that restaurant actually for? What type of clientele are they going for and the different experiences that someone would have going into that restaurant? Again, asking some of those hard questions as it relates to race and food and the overlap. And so I've only listened, it's a four-part series. I've listened to the first two, and it, I mean, it's great. So cool. I definitely recommend people check that out, and we'll put the link to it in the show notes. All right. Color me intrigued that there was... That's plenty... Sorry. The, uh, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> um, no, just talking about that Rick Bayless bet, there was that wonderful discussion of gentrification of food and that discussion. That now I'm curious. They, they explore that issue further oh, in wonderful. different areas. Um, so what's your, what's your recommended reading, Carl? Oh, my recommended reading this week is the back of a NyQuil and or DayQuil and or Sudafed and or anything bottle. I apologize for my voice and the hoarseness. This is not my Matthew McConaughey impression. That is a whole different beast. It's got a nice baritone well, to it. <laughs> There's also the nasal going on. It's just It's a combo. Well, that wraps up the, the show for the week, so thank you for listening in. We appreciate any feedback or questions you may have, so please reach out to us at failatcollege at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us with Twitter. We're at failatcollege. If you like the show, please rate us in iTunes and subscribe to the show. This is what helps other people find out about us. Carl and I produce and edit the show ourselves, and the theme music is from Broke for Free. Outro music is from Chris Stack. Until next time, we are How to Fail at College. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care. So I just have a tentative episode <coughs> title there of Never Enough Money. Mm. I was trying to think of something good that would be catchy, but a little different.
mm-hmm. without having to say personal finances, because I mean that's not really going to hook them. So I had never enough money. I put hunger plus no money equals fail, but I thought that might be a little too long and a little, a little more complicated wordy. than it needed to be. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have the directness. Oh, I mean, it works. I kind of like the fail idea though. Getting a failure in there. How to fail at money? <laughs> Maybe. 